Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It is the Ring Ref One Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Max Verstappen wins the British Grand Prix, but Spanners is buzzing. Spanners was just adding up how many points the British drivers got today because this is a big 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 deal this is the biggest day in England. <laughs> well i also there's some some ashes stuff i don't understand we're gonna blow right past that i saw sure, some sure. people saying uh, it was the best day of their lives i don't really know in any direction that was going we will focus on what happened at silverstone um break this down for me before we start because i just saw uh, yeah, As- yeah. oscar piastri on the uh the post-race stuff with uh talking to jensen button and there were a ton of McLaren fans who would push their way up to the front of of the um, the podium area. And I'm curious, on a normal, you go to a bar and everybody's watching F1. Like, can you break down the pecking order of Lewis fans, McLaren fans, Williams fans? Just just take me through 100%. what it means yeah. for McLaren to do well at Silverstone. Oh, absolutely. Like, look, you'll see this like double. And hello, Kev, by the way, what a fantastic race we just got to watch. Silverstone always delivers. I want to make an early pitch that Silverstone is not only the best F1 track, but it is also one of the greatest sporting arenas in the world. It is right up there with the Lord's Cricket Ground. It's right up there with Wembley yeah. Stadium. It's right up there with old, Colchester United Community Stadium. Yeah, I was going to say old, old Orlando Arena, obviously in the mix there. Sure. Yeah, I honestly think it's one of the greatest sporting venues. And you could hear on TV the atmosphere, especially with what sh- such strong British representation. And the Brits scored 47 points in this race, Kev. And if you include Piastri, because the Australians are basically an extension 
of of Britain, a little a little side project we had. Then Britain scored fifty nine points today, so I'll have a little bit of home pride, mostly just for a a fantastic event. Uh, but yeah, the Brits are always really happy to see. Obviously, the home home drivers do well. There are an awful lot of Williams and McLaren fans in the UK that are kind of lying dormant, waiting for those glorious times again. So in your random hypothetical bar, if you will find a bunch of middle-aged dads, the majority of them, if you said, right, hand on heart, what is your the team you love in Formula One? It's going to be Williams or, or McLaren. And like the McLaren history, obviously, Lewis Hamilton launched in McLaren. Plus, you had all those great battles with uh, David Coulthard and Mika mm-hmm. Hakkinen as well. So, yeah, I think it would, be, it would be split broadly between Williams and McLaren. All right, so let's go big picture here. Jensen Button made the point after the race, and I thought it was interesting. I wasn't around for these days, but he said this was an old school upgrade. And what he means by that is years ago, teams would come to the track and be half a second faster. And you'd go, what the heck was that? It doesn't happen anymore. Um, And if it does, everybody else has made similar upgrades and you don't notice it as much. Um, There was pace. There was reliability. This was a stunning improvement. From was, the McLaren. Yeah. Let's let's qualify this by saying there have been two or three teams this year who have made leaps where we say, oh my God, they're the second fastest car. And I want to put put it to you. Is this the real thing? Look, this is this is this is the biggest leap. This is one of the biggest in-season leaps I have ever seen, considering how completely Whoa! lost. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, you can go back to like, yeah, the olden days, if you like, where teams would suddenly find two seconds because they were like, oh, the car needs four tires. Okay. But given the high standard of teams, modern this F1, is just like not race for weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we're going to go back or, to the garage. Or, Maybe or, we'll be back from Monza. Yeah. Or teams would run a car for multiple seasons. So yes, discounting like the 70s and 80s, this is one of the biggest upgrades I've seen. And the pace they have, had today is a beautiful surprise. I completely doubted it. I 100% completely doubted it because they've been overperforming in qualifying and not carrying that through to the race. And then about 10 laps into the race, it was suddenly apparent, oh my goodness, they are holding this pace. Yes, they were pushing. So I believe on a track where there was low deg, and I think that is key, Pirelli again have gone a step too hard on a track with almost Sochi levels of degradation, the McLaren was pushing all the way. They kept saying to Lando Norris, how, how far do you think you, know, you can carry on this pace? Can you push now? And he's like, well, I am. Mm-hmm. I am pushing as hard as I can. The, the Red Bull ahead wasn't having to push. So the only real caveat I can see is if this was a high deg track, would that pace have disappeared? Would they have managed to maintain the race pace? But in these conditions... They were incredible. Was it genuine? Yes, it was absolutely genuine. No one, no one handed them anything. Mercedes made it a bit easier for them with a poor Saturday, but this was just an out-and-out incredible upgrade and driver performance from both drivers. George Russell, after the after the race, said that obviously they heaped play, both Mercedes drivers heaped praise on McLaren, which I took to be. First, genuine, because it was obvious. Yeah. But then, as we saw last week, a bit of a subtweet uh, or a dig at their own car, which has not made a <laughs> leap after. I mean, how many times have we heard it's only six months away from from really taking off? Or it's only we're going to be by, by mid-season. Mercedes is going to be right there with Red Bull. We've heard it a million times. Uh, ooh, um, yeah. 
This one, Biden hasn't yeah. happened yet. I, I, I could, I'm going to be unpopular. I know a lot of people are going to tell okay. me I'm wrong. But, so, but, I, but, but, but Russell's yeah. point about McLaren, which was they were quick in Austria, it's a totally different circuit. Now, the one thing we know about the McLarens, this was coming into Sunday, I was, I was you know, listening to some of the pundits on BBC saying, the McLaren has gotten really good at high-speed corners. And one thing I love in an athlete or a team, just be good at one thing and, and start from there and start building. If you're going to chip away at Red Bull and it looks like McLaren is, at least in the short term, you be good at one thing. And right now, they are really good in high-speed corners. So, um, yeah, Austria is a different track, but like we just know what McLaren is right now. So give me your unpopular opinion. My unpopular opinion, because we, we strayed into Mercedes territory there, my unpopular opinion is that Mercedes does have the second best overall Sunday race package overall. So that I think the pecking order now is, is Red Bull and then a, a long step back. And then you've got Mercedes leading the best of the rest with an overall package. The Saturday hurt them. Lewis Hamilton's bad start hurt them. But McLaren could easily have taken a, a leap up to third in that kind of standing. But as we were saying last week, I don't think I've ever seen a more track-dependent uh, season where cars are flip-flopping from, from track to track. But if we, we look ahead, like the Hungaro ring is a little bit more stop-start. A Spa, of course, has a lot of high-speed corners, you know, hanging on through Puon into the back, sen- uh, into the, the back segment. So I, I honestly think that, that, Merce- uh, that McLaren might be strong on low deg t- on tracks. So if there's tracks where Pirelli come with too hard a step, which they have been doing, then this could be genuine and could see them do well through this next co- course of upgrades. And you have to think that the teams are going to uh, run out of time now for upgrades. More and more of the teams are now saying they're looking towards 2024. All right. So we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Max Verstappen's win very quickly. Uh, this via Luke Smith with a 99 point lead. Max Verstappen can now finish every race this season in P2 and still win the title. Even if Checo wins every race with fastest lap and won every single sprint and, Mer- and Verstappen was P2 every time, Max would win the title by seven points. It goes like that. It, sometimes it's <laughs> like that. Sometimes F1 is like that. And hey, th- 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 this is what I always say. F1 is a career game. So to get to that position, Max Verstappen had to fight off Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo, Alex Albon, Gasly and and now Sergio Perez to be in the position where he has not only the dominant car but a dominant car shaped for him. So like good on him, but he is now enjoying the spoils of war. This is not the battle. This is him sat on the throne eating chicken raw with his hands and and uh, and calling for more court jesters. It is I I completely agree. Yeah. I I was gardening this morning. I'm soft launching as a gardening guy. Oh, nice. you, just, you just start one day at a time, and all of a sudden, yeah. you've got a beautiful hey, garden in your backyard. Did you know I hosted a, a BBC gardening show for two years, Kev? So you ask me if you need anything. I think I got it. I've done it for an hour in the history of my life, and uh, <laughs> I think I got it. All over um, it. All right, so let's go through. Uh, Verstappen obviously wins. Lando second, Hamilton third, Piastri fourth, George Russell fifth, Checo sixth, by the way. We can get into... That I want to, I want to talk about uh, the the two verse three here, which, by the way, our buddy Luke Smith called the Great British Breakoff. It's amazing. Upset me. <laughs> um, can you take us through your how you viewed second versus third today, um, and that battle, and the tire war? And by the way, we 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 have to point out Piastri. If there was no virtual safety car, probably 
significantly more in the mix for third. That was a long, I have no idea what the hell was going on with getting that Haas off the track. That was, that was wild. I don't know. Yeah. What that, do they have the same, uh, whatever. I was going to make a Haas joke, but whatever. I think um, they, yeah. I'll just leave it there. You, the listener can make the joke on their own. Um, so uh, Hamilton versus Norris affected you how? My heart hurts quite a bit <laughs> as they as they went through Cops because Cops is just one of those corners. Obviously, we saw the Hamilton Verstappen clash in 2021, and it is just an, it's a corner where you really shouldn't overtake and have a big battle. Yet, of course, all drivers ignore that and always have these amazing heart stopping battles through Cops, and it's set up so beautifully by the long drag to the Wellington Straight. And then you've got two corners, the left-hander Brooklands and the right-hander Luffield, where you can continue to fight. And we, we've seen b- battles there for the whole history of Formula One. It's one of the greatest series of corners in F1. And then, you know, we've had uh, Bottas challenging Hamilton around there. And you always get a huge crowd reaction to those fights. So the Hamilton-Norris battle was an absolute highlight of the season so far. Interesting to note kind of how they got there, because I, I do think Hamilton actually had the better car today but you know he had a poor qualifying and then he had a poor start so Lewis Hamilton again for I think the third time this season has to check up or avoid Carlos Sainz so he keeps doing that on race pace he's got a much better package than Carlos Sainz but Lewis Hamilton keeps finding himself behind Carlos Sainz like a Baku he had to check up here he had to he kind of launched himself down the outside and actually one thing I noticed watching the F2 race was offline there was loads of marbles in the complex in the first bit going through farm and the loop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he ends up going off and, and finishing in ninth place. He then has to chew through Gasly and Alonso to get back to where he should be. Then of course he gets a blinding bit of luck with the safety car. I cannot remember the last time Lewis Hamilton got any luck with the safety car at all, but it was actually a little bit down to George Russell because they, they split strategies. George Russell went on the softs and as soon as George Russell got to the halfway point with the softs, you then knew that the Pirelli predictions were wrong. So he, he, Hamilton wasn't then looking at, at medium hard. He was Should looking at medium soft. Should we just put all Pirelli on fraud watch? I, this is uh, a yeah, it's too hard. Pirelli season. <laughs> it's too hard and they, their predictions are always off. So when you look at, oh, it's going to be you know tight between a two and a three stop, you know pretty much that is a solid one stop. When they're predicting that between one and a two stop and the one stop was going to be... Uh, a, hard, a medium hard that was miles off today yeah and and George Russell really showed the way that you could manage those tyres and put in an incredible stint on the soft but he's at a disadvantage A because you don't get the safety car window because you're not out for long enough to kind of get an advantage if there is a safety car which is what Lewis Hamilton got today and you're doing your soft tyre running whilst you've got a full tank of fuel so where is going to be even higher but he showed the way. Mercedes had all that data and they just, they knew. I, I think I called it from like lap 20. You know, Hamilton's going to go medium soft. He's in with a real chance here. And then the, the cheap pit stop under the safety car was an incredible gift, which set us up for this brilliant battle. Because what you had was on a track that was hard to pass on today, I think partly because of the conditions and a lot of marbles, you had Lando Norris, I think, in not quite as good a car as Lewis Hamilton had. You had Lando Norris on hard tires, and then you had Lewis Hamilton on used softs. So you knew Hamilton had to get it done within five or six laps, or it wasn't going to happen. And he went for it. Lewis Hamilton absolutely went for it. And Lando Norris's car positioning was superb. It was, it was excellent. Like they were almost racing in slow motion 
around Luffield and through Cops, and it was 4D chess at 1,000 miles an hour. And can you tell I'm excited to have watched one of the highlights of the season? I haven't seen it excited <laughs> since we started doing this podcast together. It was so time. good. I loved it. But the thing is, Silverstone always delivers like this. I just, I don't know how they did it, but they've just managed to create a track that that invites racing, that invites side-by-side racing. So like when they get through that slow section at the beginning, which is the loop and farm, farm curve, around the loop, down the Wellington Strait, under the bridge, from that all the way through uh, Beckett's, Luffield, through that tight right-hander cops where Verstappen and Hamilton came together. Yep. All of that is great racing. You can stay side by side before you have to tuck in into that Maggots and Beckett sweep. I would also inject some junk science into this, as I, right. I love to do, mm. which is that there's so many British employees, British drivers, certainly, British team principals, and James yeah, Fowler talking yeah. about how excited everybody is to do anything well. Um, and Williams did. We're going to get to that uh, at Silverstone. And I, you wonder if you just get so many people's best shot at Silverstone because they say, you know what? I got 11 family members here, whoever it is, whether it's the yeah. <laughs> strategy guy, whatever. And it's like, if there's one race to put 90, maybe, you know, yeah. go from 99.9% effort to 100% effort. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like maybe there's just obviously an emotional lift. And Lewis said it afterwards. Like, it wasn't me. It was the crowd. Um, I feel like everybody thinks like that. Again, like when I make the NBA and play at the Orlando Arena, I will feel like I have to score 30 <laughs> points in front of my, my friends and family. Like, I wonder if any upgrades were rushed through because it's Silverstone. So you, if you had an upgrade, it could be Silverstone. It could be Spa. You, you would go, no, let's bring it to Silverstone. And yeah, and there's this big home track thing because like even someone like me, I've driven around Silverstone uh, a couple of times, you know, in a very low end. How'd you do? Si- was the lap time? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, about 118, I reckon. Yeah, but DRS <laughs> was open. No, but like, you know, they've got like a, an infield track that you can do silver seaters on. And I've done the national circuit, which is basically half the track. I've done that in a Peugeot 206 production cup yes. class. So, so could everyone in and around British motorsport Pretty much everyone has been to or driven around so, Silverstone in some part. You just reminded me of something that Joanne Palmer said last year, which was that maybe it was actually during Hamilton versus Verstappen two years ago, which is that Silverstone is so alarming for so many people in motorsport because when you're 14, you go there and no one cares. And you like <laughs> you care, the driver cares, but like no one's watching you. The only people, you know, there's there's 15 cars in the track or whatever. Everybody has two parents watching them, and that's it. That's the entirety of who cares that you're racing at Silverstone, yeah. right? And then one day you get there, and there's hundreds of thousands of people there, and it's the most pressure-packed thing. And you're just like, whoa, 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 I've taken this corner 80 times, and on 79 of them, nobody cared. And I think that that's emotional. No, it's and, obviously and stunning. Yeah, you're just like, what is this? It's, it's, it's your home like, track. It's like, it's like the Talking Head song, Once a Lifetime. You're just like, well, mm-hmm. how, did I, how did I get to where I'm taking the same thing I did 10 years ago, but now it's the biggest thing in motorsport? Yeah, especially, yeah, like, you know, you turn up and uh, you're watching, I've, I've watched it through that first complex, and then every time I look at Abby, I remember the time that I was driving it in the wet, and I careened out spinning 360s all the way towards the barrier, because I'm not very good at driving race cars, Kev. But yeah, I think you can tell, look, there is a bit of British bias creeping in. Uh, it's very exciting to have your home Grand Prix, and when we just know that this track has a, a track record of delivering good racing, it's very exciting. Say, I will say saved a little bit by the safety car this time around, bunching the pack up. Um, there was a very exciting beginning, of course. Uh, but yeah, without the safety car, it, that one might have petered out. And I think Pirelli would have had to shoulder some of that responsibility. But, but we, we didn't even talk about the beginning. Lando Norris led laps of the British Grand Prix 
got a great start on Max Verstappen. And just for a moment, you did wonder before the DRS opened, ooh, could he? Could he? No, surely not. And the answer was surely not. It was not. Um, Yeah, it was not. It was was a very quick note. Um, Okay, so let's sort of go through some of the more big picture topics. Uh, One of them being Ferrari. What the hell was that? Oh, man, we've been so positive, and now we have to talk about Ferrari. Man, I've come to expect Ferrari to Ferrari, but even even so. Carlos Sainz le- losing three positions in three corners. It was a nice touch. And it was unbelievable. He was just going, yeah, sitting there going, well, how did that happen? And they're like, well, you know, what, what, what can we do? <laughs> uh, it just seemed like they were trying to do everything they could. Maybe they were a bit unlucky with Leclerc going onto the hards. And, and he seemed to lose out a lot on the hards. And by the time everyone had cycled through their pit stops, he was suddenly yeah, a bit disadvantaged because his hards were a little bit old. And then he got skinned around the outside of the Luffield hairpin by George Russell. And George Russell just looked like he was on a Scalextrix track around the outside. And like I know Russell had a tyre advantage, but that was an absolutely spectacular you know, move from a, a home driver around the outside of Leclerc. But Sainz is the one. Signs is the one where you just go, wow, they really, they just, they just threw it all away. And then all of a sudden he was in a position with, with tires that just weren't activated, that weren't working, that it's, it felt like the rest of the field had gone, no, don't go on that tire and had demonstrated why you shouldn't. And they still put Carlos Signs in that. And he ends up getting completely mugged by Albon in a Williams. I, I don't even know where did Signs end up 10th? My goodness. They started right up the pack. That could have been a podium for Ferrari, but they ended up ninth and 10th. I'm not blaming the drivers at all. I'm not even 100% blaming the strategists. That car chews tires and it limits their options. And just the whole package is the most disappointing thing because the car at its core seems good. The drivers are good. They can't hold on to tire wear. They can't manage a plan of strategy. The drivers don't know what the strategy is. Carlos, we're moving to plan B. Well, I've forgotten what plan B is. <laughs> bad, what I it? love that. That is bad. Did you see did you see the radio message that um that Verstappen said I saw Ferrari pit and we should just stick to our strategy and the racing show said, Yep, no concern. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah, good. We're okay. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. Yep. They're gonna Ferrari any minute now, it's fine. Uh, we're just we're depending on them to do their thing. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And I don't, don't want to be negative because as you know, I want Ferrari to be good enough for me to hate them again. And I can't at the moment. It's it's I'm going to pick my words carefully. It's sad. Sad for who? It's sad. It's sad. What's going on at Ferrari? It's sad. It's sad no, to I see. No, I know. What's no, happening. no, I know. But I, mm. you've not necessarily been the biggest Ferrari backer in your days. I know. That's... And that's what I'm saying. It's so sad that I can't even be happy about it. I need them to get a little bit better I, so I can then... I, I doubt that. Now, I, can't, I, cannot, I cannot see and delight in or be in any way happy with Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc being entirely wasted by what is happening at Ferrari. We're going to get to your questions, but we need to address one of the teams that I flicked at earlier, which was a team that a couple weeks ago we said they've made the leap. This is real. This is permanent. What can our teams learn from this? It's Aston Martin. You've got them as the fifth fastest car. And I tend to agree. This has been... Hmm. A bit of a rough patch. Um, yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, I think this is entirely in line with the conversations we had at the beginning of the season where obviously they came out and they were the second best team and we just had an expectation that the, the, a team like that with, a, with their 
relative position and a team that was formerly Force India, our, our baseline, our Occam's razor is that they will tend not to develop as well as the teams around them because that's what we've seen from that outfit. Yes, of course, it's completely new ownership and it's been Racing Point and then Aston Martin since then. Uh, but you go, well, with that big elite forward, they came from what, what like seventh to suddenly being the second best car. Mm-hmm. My suggestion was maybe they front loaded a lot of their development. Maybe they put a lot into that initial package and, and haven't kept a lot for the development throughout the year. But I'm not surprised. I know everyone was calling me mad at the beginning of the year when I said they would slip back to being the, the fourth or fifth uh, fastest car. And we didn't predict, did not predict McLaren jumping up and, and joining that conversation. They got a little bit of a reprieve in, in Canada. I think the Red Bull ring masked uh, the, the, the gradual slip back, the relative order a little bit as well. I, on our, I, I, maybe this track, maybe they, maybe they didn't suit this track as well, so it looks a bit worse than it is. But I think there's a really strong case to say they've definitely slipped behind Mercedes and Ferrari. And that's who we were talking about at the beginning of the season. McLaren's probably jumped them as well. Is there anything in the tank? Is anyone going to bet on Aston Martin coming out with that killer upgrade to throw them back up the grid? No, I think this is going to settle. They'll have the odd good race, but this is about where they are. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Question time. Lammy Limes asks, is Yuki Tsunoda good or bad? Uh, well, should we look at the grids? Where did he finish? 16th today. 16th today. <laughs> ahead, ahead of DeVries. Of, ahead of DeVries. DeVries. Yeah. I mean, the car is bad, isn't it? Marco says uh, it's bad. Yes. Marco, Marco says it's bad. Says it's bad. Helmut Marco says <laughs> Marco we're not going to let them. a lot of things. He's basically said, we're not going to let them make their own car anymore. <laughs> That's essentially what he said. Uh, we see, you know, they've got all those facilities, you know, over there in Italy. And he's basically gone, well, maybe we should just make it more of a Red Bull clone. And it's a funny setup to have a B team where you could just somehow over, you know, have a dinner party and just be like, hey, let's just have all the Alpha Tauri and Red Bull engineers just hang out at a dinner party. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong here. Just have a chit chat. Have a chat. Hey, why not? Let's talk about design stuff. You know, we're all into design stuff. Let's just have a little chat. We have so, so like, much how? in common. We <laughs> have so <laughs> much in common. <laughs> and then you go, you go away from that going, hey, I know. Why don't I make my side pods like 
blah, blah, blah. Um, so it is a funny one. So I think, yeah, Sonoda and De Vries are driving a, a terrible car this season. Sonoda is driving it better than De Vries, And that's just back marker things. Intriguing question from Rohit. Um, hey, Rohit. Who should we be more worried about, Alpine or Ferrari? Uh, well, okay. Well, what's your relative? Different buckets. I, obviously, yeah. I think that's. I think the point. I don't think he's comparing these two as far as expectations. I'm just saying, relatively speaking, who's doing worse than they should be? Ferrari. Good question. I mean, yeah. it's kind of. I mean, for, I mean, be. Alpine. Alpine had the worst possible race. So, what today. should Ferrari be doing? Ferrari should be challenging for the title every year. They've got more money than everyone. They've got more heritage than everyone. They've got great drivers. They've got great facilities. So what they're doing, like I said, is sad, and they, they and it's 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 a great great shame. Alpine is a project which has had varying backing from its parent company. So you know that that motorsport group. I think is it the biggest one in the world? It's definitely one of the biggest ones. In it's the in world. the mix, yeah, yeah. So really, like if they wanted to throw their full weight at it, they, there's always been infinite budget. But I do feel like the F1 project has had to go begging to the board, and it's been a pet project of of certain people. And like, you know, Cyril Abitable, I think, sold it to Renault as saying, in five years' time, we're going to be here. And they weren't. And then they said, you oh, well, fired. it's not, it's actually not Renault now. So it's not Renault doing badly. It's now Alpine that is doing badly. So I think given the relative ambition and backing, Alpine are probably where they should be. Ferrari should be way higher. So I'm much more disappointed in Ferrari. I drove a Renault rental car in France and it was I have phenomenal. a Renault. It was phenomenal. It was I love phenomenal French cars. Car. Do you know why I love French cars, Kev? Uh, I do not. Because uh, I think it was Top Gear, but uh, certainly that it's got such a bad reputation in Britain for, for being just a terrible car, like the French make terrible cars, but it just isn't true. So if you want to buy a Peugeot or a Renault, you just get great value cars uh, because no one wants them. So yeah, we've got a Renault and a Peugeot sat on our driveway and they're great. Wow. Top tip. Um would Piastri have, this is from John Sears, would Piastri have had a shot at passing Hamilton on softs? No. I think, well, on, they only had used softs as well. So Hamilton had used softs too. I, no, I don't think so. Because like I said, like, I think if you'd have put Norris and Hamilton on softs together with Piastri, I think all it would have done is made it less interesting because they'd have had similar pace. I think what made the battle with Hamilton and Norris interesting is that Hamilton had used softs which fired up immediately after the safety car and Norris had new, brand new hards which had good pace eventually but took a little bit of time to get fired up. So that made it interesting. Big, big call from, from McLaren to not go for the used softs. I think that's a gamble. It, what would have been really interesting is had, had Norris been slightly less good and Hamilton had got ahead on his fired up softs what would have happened? Because once Norris's and, and Piastri's tyres kind of heated up and, and got going, could Hamilton have held off Norris with the tables turned? Because his rears were starting to go. They were basically, they were overheating and they were telling him, right, if you cool down, you'll get the grip back. But at the pace he was having to maintain, he's losing the rears coming out of, you know, the traction zones. So that would have been interesting. If Hamilton had got past, I, I still think Norris would have then had a, a nibble back and, and got Hamilton eventually, that would have been more fun. But no, no, great, great performance from Piastri to be right up there. But just at every point, Norris, you know, was just that little bit, that little bit better, that little bit more experienced and, and, and did a little bit better, which you would expect. But your number two rookie doing what Piastri did, good on you, mate. That was an Aussie accent. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> okay. Um, I again, we went pe- through this the other day. I'm getting worse determining accents. Yeah. So I'm just gonna leave that one alone. Uh, Libs asks, how much will we find out? McLaren overspent on catering. Uh, <laughs> it's nearly budget cap season, isn't it? I think we're going to find out in uh, early October. And there's a few things. There's a few things in that. So there's the normal budget cap stuff. So they were obviously Red Bull were caught out last year, and Aston Martin had some admin stuff. I think Williams got a fine for not putting the the right documents in at the right well, so time. To- or something. Toto is now. This is the the ultimate yeah. sort of going out sad thing. He's become a cheerleader for that. Like he's wow. just like yeah. he's like he's like oh there's gonna be strict rules we're gonna see who's cheating we're gonna see mm-hmm. who's cheating I think that he thinks so the most analogous thing is uh you you probably have no idea what this is but there's a there's a college version of pro football called college football funnily enough and, I've seen uh, telly I've seen TV okay. I've seen movies and uh, there's rampant cheating in it rampant hmm. cheating and you know that. People are down bad when they just give press conferences just being like, well, everybody else is cheating but me. And it's like, well, pal, first of all, you're <laughs> probably cheating if you're a college football coach. <laughs> and second of all, like, skill issue. Figure it out. Oh, it's cycling. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is cycling. It is cycling. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I just don't know. Um, a, you know, we, we, we've gotten the question a couple times, like, should a team just just completely ignore the cost cap and just take the same penalty that Red Bull mm-hmm. did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I I actually think they should. Yeah, why, I mean, in a way, you've got nothing to lose because they have said, "Oh, it will be stricter next time." But I mean, there would be an uproar. Let's say Mercedes did a a small infringement, a hundred thousand, and then got taken away half their their wind tunnel time or mm-hmm. was expelled from the championship. That would be that would be outrageous. And the thing is, Red yeah. Bull. When it came through, they they acted quite surprised that they had breached the cost cap, and they'd already done a lot of their spending towards the next car as well. So you have to think if they were in trouble for the 2021 spend, they're probably in trouble for the 2022 spend as well. So we're going to have a similar bunch of of wranglings. But the thing Toto Wolf is going for at the moment is saying, well, actually, there's a lot of teams that have have used their applied technology centers outside of F1 use knowledge gained from that mm-hmm. to then to then go into F1. So that's going to be a, a whole thing as well. The whole cost cap thing and the way it's policed. We, we talked about this you know, years ago and we were saying, how the, how the hell are they going to police that? It's going to be a nightmare. And I think it's turning out to be. I, I don't think that McLaren have done that where they've just gone and, and thrown the catering budget at an upgrade. I think I they knew... Totally agree. Yeah, they knew early on, didn't they? In testing, they knew early on that they'd completely gone the wrong way. I think they put all their eggs in one basket to go, right... Let's just go for our own version of the Red Bull concept and let it, let's just throw everything at it. And it's just worked. You know, I think they've just had a big roll of the dice and it's worked and it is glorious. So Zach Brown was talking after the race um, and was pointing to Andrea Stella and saying that this guy, they've hired a bunch of people, but they haven't been able to start yet because of the unbelievable gardening leave oh, that happens yeah, in F1. Yeah. It's really unbelievable. Gardening leave, obviously, you and I know about as gardeners. Um, and we, experts. We love, you know, yeah. yeah, experts. And um, But so he took, he promoted a bunch of people from within. He inherited it. Um, he knew the upgrades that were needed. I, I do believe, and Lawrence Edmondson, our buddy, wrote about this yesterday, um, that obviously the floor, seeing the Red Bull floor in Monaco had a, was the 
origin story for this, but that's not all. Um, I don't, I don't think you can just see, I, I'm sure William saw the floor too, but there's, you know, you have to do some stuff with it. Aston saw the floor too. Mercedes saw the floor too. Um, and so they did sort of, I, I think the quote was they saw that there was more to be done. And so then they started on that and they, they put their own certainly arrow spin on it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think that there's, um, there's a lot of ways to improve right now. Uh, my, my feeling is to get rid of the cost cap, especially with Red Bull pulling away. Because I don't think that that's, I, I'd rather see Daddy Stroll or someone like that be able to throw $100 million at this problem of how to catch Red Bull. I'd rather yeah. see that. Thing and, is the, the cost cap was to, to stop the, the continuing embarrassment of the Mercedes dominance. That's, that right, was well, the catalyst that's over, for it. But that's over. Yeah. Yeah, so. I know. So now it's doing the opposite. Now it's stopping everyone catching up. A bit unlucky. Like I don't know. What's the aim? What's the aim? What's the aim to to do to for this cost cap to make the smaller teams more competitive? That doesn't seem to have have worked. If that is the stated aim, I I don't think it's encouraging new teams to come in. That was one of the big arguments for the cost cap was that new teams will want to come in because it's a much more manageable budget. And and that was the promise given to Marussia to Caterham. And those those teams that were the, at the back end for those several seasons, they were told there's a cost cap coming in, so you'll be allowed to be more competitive. But then they've turned around and said, well, now you need to pay a billion to be able to, to come in. So that that's rubbish as well. So the more and more I hear the logic around the cost cap, the more I think it was there to stop the Mercedes dominance. And maybe they, I agree a little bit, had to do something. <laughs> the same team winning for a decade. It's not the Scottish Premier League. Well, that's, there's two teams in the Scottish Premier League. Yeah, they swap. They take turns and like they win like 12 titles each and then they and they flip a coin and say, I know it's your turn, Angus. And then the next team can win. I have a neighbor who's a huge Air United fan. Is from it? Scotland. He's from, oh, he's from, right, okay. from there. Well, my so. condolences. Do, do pass them on. He's in the mix. They're in the mix. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Sander asks, has Albon raced his way into a second chance at Red Bull? Can I have a rant? I know I, know <laughs> I never wanted to do it. Oh my God. Every single Friday, honestly, like I'm just going to have to turn off social media on a Friday because every time a team does a low fuel run and just, and there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of different reasons to do high fuel runs, low fuel runs. It's not always about sandbagging or glory runs. You want to see how your car will behave at the start of a race. You want to see how your car will behave in qualifying. That's fine. But, Williams were very obviously doing a you know some low fuel runs and they popped up second and fifth I think and and then and then it was made worse because in qualifying they ha- they they just timed the conditions perfectly a couple of times to just to look amazing and look like they were much further up the grid but some team does that every week in FP1 I think it was even Alpine doing some glory runs and every <laughs> single time Social media goes nuts. Oh my goodness, is this Haas? Haas are in it. This is genuine. This is real. Williams are coming back up to the top. Yes, it was a, a nice little bit of a step forward for, for Williams, but people got all together much, much, much too excited. Uh, Williams are nowhere near in the mix. Albon is, uh, is there with a teammate who is not driving particularly well. He's got, he's got the Russell scenario at the moment where it is easy to look good in a back of the end team uh, with a, a a weaker teammate, this is the perfect scenario uh, scenario for building stock. That's Russell had the benefit of that, and then now he good. He he turned out to be good, and that's fine. But that's what Albon's enjoying at the moment. Albon is enjoying the absolute peak conditions for looking good. Jay Nelly, last question asks: 
if your life depended on it, and it does in, in a random oh, 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 okay. Who would you pick as the third in the constructors for 2023? So let's go through this. Let's do it. Red Bull, obviously, 411. By the way, heard that stat in the post race that Max Verstappen would win the constructors on his own. He does no <laughs> longer need a teammate to win the constructors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens. And I think Ham- Hamilton ways, by himself is like the yeah. sixth best constructor of all time or something. Mercedes 203. And here's where, here's the third, where we get into the third. Aston Martin. 181, Ferrari 157, McLaren 59, Alpine 47. Huge, huge gap to 11 points, which is Williams and Haas. By the way, they had James Vowles on after, and they were like, no, you're now level on points with Haas for seventh. And I, I did not know that that was 11 points, um, which just tells you a lot, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Uh, Alpha is ninth. They're taking the season off, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Just kind of, we'll see you. We'll see you guys next year. And Alpha Towery has two. In no man's land. In Lim- but they were gonna, that, and- that team was going to be sold a few months back. And then now they're like, well, maybe we should just make them copy what we're doing. So that, that team's nowhere. All right. So really, it's, it's it, it, if you want to be optimistic about some team, maybe maybe someone will catch up Mercedes. I don't think they will. So it's really between Aston Martin, Ferrari, and McLaren. To be third. Gun to your head in this, yeah. in this hypothetical, who is third in November's banners? So, yeah, I, I, I'm really confident now. I know Mercedes fans and Lewis Hamilton fans have been a, a bit down over the course of this weekend. Need to sort Saturday out. Need to sort out whatever's going on with the, the pit stops because that made it way too hard for, for Russell. Uh, I know Mercedes and Hamilton fans are down in the dumps, but that, that is now the second best overall race package. And that I think they will cruise to second place. And it's now a case between can, can McLaren's improvements overcome Ferrari's ability to deny themselves podiums? Because there was a podium there somewhere today. And what it feels like is, it's a team on the up, doing everything right, on an absolute high, up against a Ferrari team that are just giving themselves a weekly kicking and who, who will come out best by the end of the season. So gun to my head, was it? It was a bit extreme. Uh, let's go for Ferrari just hanging on, on in there because it's the, the better overall package. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting Aston Martin in that race at the moment. <sighs> All right. Well, All right. I, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. If I was to wake up this morning and someone yeah. said, Max is going to win. Yep. But we were going to be thrilled and buzzing and all I'd, this I'd, stuff. I'd have I wouldn't it. have known. You would have believed it? I would have believed it. Kev, I, I WhatsApped you before the start of the race. I was buzzing looking at that grid. Looking at that grid, I was absolutely buzzing. Like my heart was pounding. Uh, yes, it's because it's Silverstone. I know what Silverstone can deliver. But I looked at the Mercedes. The Mercedes were out of position. That was great. The Ferrari, in a way, was out of position because we kind of know what they're going to do. The McLarens were always going to be sort of fighting to, to hang on to that. And I, I didn't realize that their race pace was going to be so genuine. I thought they were going to drop a little bit like a stone. But yeah, I was absolutely on the edge of my seat for, for this race. Uh, and, and it delivered. And I think, you know, everyone's saying it, but you take Max Verstappen out of the championship now and you look at the racing behind it. There is a genuine exciting competition. And I, I know I was preaching and going on about this last week, but I'm absolutely right. Like, let, let Max enjoy the spoils of war. But behind it, that is just, it's an amazing, incredible fight with different drivers up there every single week. Do the apocryphal story, I believe, about Picasso and the, the sketch. So they I have said, no culture, so no. 
there's an apocryphal story. It's been told about every artist. It's prob- probably never happened, but it's probably indicative of, of something that we're talking about here, which is that uh, Picasso is in a studio, sketches a little thing, takes five seconds, and they said, and he sells it for, you know, it goes for a ton of money. And someone says, no, it took you five seconds. He said, no, it took took me 70 years, right? Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's how it goes. <laughs> and so, again, every, there's a million versions of that story, and again, none of them are true, um, but that's kind of what we're talking about with Max Verstappen, where it's like, you know, you get yep. to have this yep. season because everything that Ray Bull has done before, everything that Verstappen Yeah, did. and we said that, I, I was definitely saying the, the same thing. Obviously, Hamilton, he had the Rosberg fights for those three years, then he had the Vettel fights for a couple of years. In 2019 and 2020, he was just enjoying the spoils of war, and he was he was that was all wrapped up by by Mexico, and uh, and and we were saying the same thing then. You know, it's yes, this season is easy, but how many people could have got to that position? Look at the greats he had to fight off to get to that position: Alonso, Kovalainen. I'm no, kidding, a little bit, but you know, Alonso, Button, Rosberg. Uh, you know, he had he had really good teammates throughout all of that, and just like we were saying with Verstappen at the start of the show, how many drivers would have gotten to the Hamilton position in 2019 and 2020. All right, Spanners, the floor is yours to okay. empty out your notes. I've got a couple more points. Should we for drop you, in the F1 theme for, for uh, yeah. this? Like, I feel like this is this is the main. Let's event. do it. Let's do it. Um, I've got Dam- a couple. Damian Lewis sing the national anthem beforehand. Yeah, it's a banger, isn't it? I just, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of any national anthems. There's hardly ever that aren't complete dross. Uh, but yeah, okay, well done for for delivering that competently. I suppose George Russell interesting race. I have to say, on race pace, qualifying performance, overall weekend performance, this was one of his strongest ones of of the year and had done enough, I think, to probably, by the end of the race, without that safety car, he had done enough to be ahead of Lewis Hamilton on track and for the team to say, don't bother pushing, we'll, we'll settle for this where we are. So great overall performance, but I think the optics were pretty bad as he, he went, well, where's, where's Hamilton? He's up ahead. Okay. He's ahead of uh, Piastri. And they, he asked, has he pitted? And they said, uh, no, he, yeah, yeah, he has pitted. He hadn't. And the safety car came out and he, and he pitted. And George Russell went, oh, oh, that's not fair, boo. And it just, it, it was a shame because obviously he's going to be disappointed, but it gave away <laughs> that his eyes were fully focused on beating Hamilton and just Hamilton. And from a PR perspective, from a team perspective, you've got a teammate and one of your cars has had a bit of good fortune and has ended up in a podium position and you're disappointed. I think George Russell, who is so hot on PR, will listen back to that and be disappointed that he didn't go, oh, yeah, good for him. Let's keep pushing. Um, all right. So I'll be back uh, in maybe a couple of weeks. So on the 23rd is the next race. And what's going to happen there? I, I heard Aston thinks they'll be fast. Didn't Alonso say that he was going to be on the podium yeah. every race? Aston, That's right. Yeah, look, they uh, talked a good game. They've done really well to hang on. But no, I don't. Is Hungara ring next? It might well, suit them no. a, little, a little more. So what I think is that, um, what I think generally is going to happen here is, so the 23rd is no man's land for me for NFL. So I might be on the road, depending on when my interview schedule is. It might be Megan Spanners. It might be the Aus 3. Ooh. So I don't, I will be back for midweek show before that. But whether or not I'm back for, uh, for the Aston Martin podium. It remains to be seen. And then after that, it, I'm definitely off for a couple of races as it was last summer. I will say, I don't know if I shared this or not, that I was going to make a five-minute cameo from Chiefs Camp um, on one of the mid... After the Ricardo craziness with Piastri and all that stuff last year. 
And then I, the whole thing was, and you remember this, I, uh, I, I, I zoomed in to make a five minute cameo and you guys were having such a great time that I was like, that's I right. Yeah. To, it was you and Juliet and Meg. And I was yeah. just like, I am not going to ruin this vibe. And I Aww. just bailed. And that was it. I was in, I was, I had FOMO and then I was like, I, I need to leave. Well, look, a, a Kevin Clark cameo is always welcome, and I'm just desperate to get you back into my podcasting shed to come and appear on uh, my F1 efforts as well. Love it. All right. See you, buddy. Football season's here. You're excited about the NFL. You know no. who these people are. Nuh-uh. We're going to do, right before, <laughs> next time we're on them, we're going to do a, have you heard of this NFL guy? Okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm as excited about that as you are about the ashes that's happening right now. I was in England. I was at a West Ham Tottenham game during the ashes in 2009 and all i didn't know what the ashes was and all of a bunch of journalists and people were just running to the concourse all the time to watch the ashes and they're like one person would communicate there was some big was it bowl is it a bowl is it a wicket i don't know what it is wicket opportunity and then everybody would run out oh i see yeah yeah when when there's a dismissal yeah Yeah, honestly you should get into it it's like baseball but with you know rules that make sense and a good good. structure oh no yeah yeah. yeah. it's like baseball that's gonna help with americans (laughs) it is like baseball though kev yeah oh when you next come to england i'll uh i will take you to the county ground in essex and i'll teach you all about it no i was at upton park and i saw a bunch of you watch on tv and that will be the that will be the end of your that will be the end that's it that's it i saw it all right buddy thank you to erica cervantes for production help we will see you in a couple weeks This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.